Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Film Spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on Cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. The Broken Circle Breakdown chronicles a love at first sight romantic relationship from beginning to end between a tattoo artist and a musician. An Academy Award nominee for foreign language film, it's available on demand 35 days before Netflix and Redbox. And also available on demand is Diana. Naomi Watts portrays the late Princess Diana in the last two years of her life. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on cable. The Art House is now in your house. This episode is also brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com SVU. From New York City, this is Film Spotting, streaming video units. I'm Allison Wilmore. And I'm Matt Singer. Coming up on this episode of SVU, Allison and I leap at the opportunity to get self-righteously angry about crimes we're not actually sure we're committed as we talk about Thomas Vinterberg's The Hunt. And later in the show, we'll bring you cue shots where we recommend some titles you can rent or stream at home right now, all centered on a common theme. Now, inspired by The Hunt, we were going to do a podcast all about the Dogma 95 movement that Vinterberg co-founded, mm. complete with our own stripped-down aesthetics. No editing, <laughs> no music, just podcasting in its most raw, pure form. But you may not know that, that film spending SVU actually requires thousands of dollars worth of audio processing just to get us to the place you're used to. Without it, my voice really sounds like this. And Matt. This is what Matt sounds like. I don't think there's any difference, but you've insisted that we pay all this money, so okay. So rather than expose that hideous truth, uh, we're going to talk about movies about the wrongfully accused instead. Yeah. 
But first up is Opening Break, a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies On Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight a few notable films new on demand on cable. So, Matt, what are our picks this time? I don't I don't even want to talk about them because I'm, I'm wishing I had convinced you to do this dogma thing because I wouldn't <laughs> have had to do anything. No editing, no music, just podcasting. It sounds nice. It sounds a lot easier. It does. Then people would also know that it actually takes us about 30 hours to record every podcast yeah. also. Yeah. We just record every sentence over and over and <laughs> over again. Until they're perfect. Until, yes, absolutely flawless. I have been called the Stanley Kubrick of podcasting. <laughs> the David Fincher. You're like, yes. again, again, again. Faster with more intensity. <laughs> yes. I, I have, you know, I've, I've broken many actors down that way. Totally. Uh, yes, I'm banned in some countries for my behavior. <laughs> but no, no, all right, let's get to opening break. Let's get to our picks, even though I'm a little bummed out about this whole thing. Uh, three movies I'm looking forward to seeing. I haven't seen any of these movies yet, but uh, some, some intriguing choices. Starting with one I'm really looking forward to seeing, which is called Grand Piano. Have you heard of this film? I have. Okay, so it's directed by uh, a man by the name of e uh, Eugenio Mira. It's written by Damien Chazelle whose new film, which he wrote and directed, Whiplash, just won both the Grand Jury Prize and the Audience Award at the Sundance Film Festival last week. Uh, he wrote the screenplay for this one. The film will be available on demand starting on January 30th. And basically, this movie is phone booth. In, high concept. It's high concept. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a high concept. It's like phone booth with a piano, with a concert hall. It's a this like world-class uh, pianist played by Elijah Wood. He's had some kind of like trauma or he's got had a a rough patch of his career. He's like dropped off the face of the earth. He decides to get back into playing, I think at a benefit for maybe his teacher or something. And when he gets on stage to play, uh, as he's turning the pages of his sheet music, he finds a note in there saying something like, If you play one wrong note, you will die. Get back on stage. Money I have. I don't want your money. And what? I want you to play the most flawless concert of your life. The voice, eventually he gets a little earpiece that talks to him while he's playing. Sort of like the whole, you know, guy on the other end of the phone in phone booth. Uh, which was Kiefer Sutherland, if I'm correct. That in, sounds right. In the film. In this film, it's John Cusack is the guy on the nice. other end of the voice. Saying, give me your top five favorite concert movies or I kill you. <laughs> You know, it's like high fidelity gone really, really dark. Right. Um, so the director, Eugenio Mira, he actually has a background as a film composer. He uh, has composed music for a bunch of movies, including Time Crimes, the uh, Nacho Vigalondo movie. So he has a background in both in film and music, which I think is pretty interesting. I'm, I'm assuming it serves him well here. The movie premiered at Fantastic Fest uh, in September, last September in Austin, Texas. I was at the festival, but I didn't get to see the movie. I missed it. I had to see something else when it was playing, so I, I missed out on it. But I heard nothing but good things about it. So sign me up. Phone booth in a concert hall. It sounds great. That's Grand Piano, and it will be available on VOD starting on January 30th. Our next pick here will be available on VOD on January 28th. It's called Metallica Through the Never. And while, Allison, you know I'm a huge Metallica fan. You like to rock. I, I need to rock. It's in my blood. I, it's, not a, it's not a like issue. It's a, it's a compulsion with me. If I, don't, if I don't rock, I just explode. I just have to get this energy out of me. 
You know what I mean? I know exactly what you, you mean. You can relate. I'm sure totally you can. can relate. So uh, that's one facet is that it's a Metallica concert film, and that's, that's reason enough to see it, I suppose. But to me, the added attraction is the fact that the film was directed by a, a gentleman by the name of Nimrod Antal, uh, who has made a bunch of uh, B-movie thrillers that uh, I've liked. I wasn't crazy about Predators, his, his uh, Predator. I guess it was a sequel, I suppose. His yeah. Sequel, sidequel, requel. Re- reboot-ish. Reboot-ish. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Uh, I wasn't crazy about that movie so much. But I really like the movies he made before that, including Vacancy, which was like kind of a slasher survival horror film. And I really like this movie Armored he made, which was really like one of the best old school B movies of the last couple of years. Just a bunch of like burly, sweaty dudes fighting over a big pile of money. Uh, that was a really good film. Armored, I really highly recommend it. So he directed this and the twist to the movie Metallica Through the Never is that it's not just a concert film. It has like a plot interwoven into the concert footage. So I guess they cut back and forth. The plot involves uh, a character played by Dane DeHaan from Chronicle, and he's going to be. In, yeah. He's a very good young actor, and he's going to be in, I think, the new Spider Man, right? I think he plays Harry Osborn in the new one. Uh, so he plays, I think, like a stagehand or a roadie or something, and he's sent to go pick something up, and it's kind of this nightmarish journey through a. I don't know, like a rioting city or something. I, I just know based on the trailers what supposedly it is. But. Uh, I'm intrigued by the concept, and uh, like I said, I have you know I need my Metallica, uh, so I'm very curious to see that one. It's Metallica through the Never, and that's available on VOD starting on January 28th. And finally, also available on January 28th is the film The Fifth Estate, the biopic about the website WikiLeaks and its founder Julian Assange, who is played by the Batch Benedict Cumberbatch. It uh, didn't get fantastic reviews, and actually it was, uh, not a, it was not a success. It was actually a pretty big flop, but I have to admit I'm still curious to see it. I, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was a fan of the Alex Gibney documentary about WikiLeaks, and I'm very curious to just kind of compare the two movies. I'd like to see the two side by side and, and kind of compare their depictions and opinions about uh, Assange. And I don't know, it just seems like a, an interesting piece in the making, an article in the making, which no one wrote because no one saw The Fifth Estate because it was a big – uh, it was a, it was a big flop, but I'm curious, and I'm I'm going to be checking it out. It's the Fifth Estate that'll be available on VOD starting on January 28th. We're very pleased to have Audible back as a sponsor for this episode. Audible.com is a leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For our audience members. Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. And we have a recommendation for you. Matt, what is the audiobook you have to recommend? Well, I actually got two recommendations Ooh. for you. And this is this is really what I would be doing if, you know, I was interested, if I if I'm looking for something to uh fill up my my iPod, my iPhone, I think this is what I would do because and and I'm saying it because I haven't had as much time to read lately. I haven't been doing as much same here commuting as i used to yeah so i haven't had time to read like physically read a book but i uh, you know i walk mr kirby who's laying here on the floor passed out next to us every day multiple times so i've been listening to more stuff so what i would do is there's a couple of books that are actually based on best picture nominees that i've been interested in checking out and they're both available on audio so either one of these would be a good one you could get it on your phone and you could you know walk in the dog taking your you know commute whatever you got to do i think that would be a a good way to do it. So here are the two recommendations. These are the ones I'm really curious to check out. 12 Years a Slave, written by Solomon Northup. It's narrated by Louis Gossett Jr. Mm. That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. Very curious 
to to hear that to compare the the real story to the film by Steve McQueen, which I liked a lot. And then A Captain's Duty, Somali Pirates, Navy Seals, and Dangerous Days at Sea, written by Richard Phillips and Stephen Tatey, and narrated by George K. Wilson. And Richard Phillips is Captain Richard Phillips, and the movie there is Captain Phillips, which I actually liked even better than 12 Years a Slave. I loved Captain Phillips. And again, I'm curious to compare the book to uh, the film. But yeah, those are two I'm very interested to check out, and they're both available on Audible, 12 Years a Slave and A Captain's Duty. All right. Well, to download either of those audiobooks for free or another one of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash SVU. That's audiblepodcast.com slash SVU. Some people see through the eyes of the old before they ever get a look at the young. I'm only willing to hear you cry because I am an All right, let's get into our accuse shots. And on this episode, we're doing wrongfully accused Ben. So I'm assuming we are going to talk about the Leslie Nielsen film Wrongfully Accused, right? Right. That was incredibly well received. Yes. Uh, by... It's a huge hit. <laughs> it did feature Leslie Nielsen saying the line, I've been wrongfully accused. Which is uh, is good. Maybe, uh, you know, that's really all you need for the movie. If it could just end there. Pretty much. It would it would fulfill all, all that was needed. Do we have anything uh, we want to say in a general sense before we get yeah, to our picks, Allison? It did seem like uh, when I was kind of looking into the films that fall into this category, there are two, two main ways that it, they tend to fall out, which okay. is you either have your true stories of people who were wrongfully accused and ended up in prison and are cleared of it. Okay. And these are, you know, you have your docs like uh, Paradise Lost, right. the Trials of Daryl Hunt, An Unreal Dream, Thin Blue Line, you know, a lot of these great films about injustice and and how uh, and how these cases go so wrong. Or, or you have fictional versions of them like The Hurricane, In the Name of the Father, right, which also fulfill the similar kind of like triumphant narrative of like someone finally getting mm -hmm. their due and then you have a lot of these movies that are uh, action movies in which a hero is wrongfully accused it has to clear his name right which is a classic arc from everything from absolutely the rock to tango and cash to the a-team you know right always on the run wanting to clear yeah, they were their sent name. to prison for crimes they didn't, they didn't commit. commit that's exactly. right exactly so uh you know that those seem to be the two ways they shake out there are others that uh don't fall into either of those, but but those dominate this category. Well, I mean and that's a I mean that's a it's an easy trope to like for an average person to really get into because it's a it's a relatable situation, right? It it speaks to our fear and paranoia that we didn't do anything wrong, but even if you didn't do anything wrong, you could still be held accountable for something. You could still be you know, arrested or charged or... or well, and also that you're like a uh, just a law-abiding citizen and suddenly right, exactly. you're thrown onto the other side of the system. And, through no fault and, of your own. no fault of your own. Right. Yeah, and it's it's certainly an easy way to make you uh, invest in a hero, right? Right, exactly. Because you're, you're like, this guy's getting... Uh, harsh treatment. Uh, I will say that knowing all of our picks, we're going to give like very little uh, <laughs> treatment to the, the true crime the side of this. Uh, but there are a lot of great films out there, uh, you know, on these topics. Films that have actually like gotten people freed. That's right. Uh, you know, Thin Blue Line and the Paradise Lost films have done a lot to actually 
bring attention to cases and get them looked at again. So those are all great, great films. Blue Line, all three Paradise Lost films. If you haven't seen those, highly recommended for yeah. sure. So with that said, let's why, yeah. don't, why don't you move on to your first choice? <laughs> well, my first choice is a uh, it's a little bit eccentric. I mean, I kind of stretch the boundaries of wrongfully accused. I kind of did it more. This one is more like. Uh, mistaken identity kind of a thing okay. which i felt was similar enough i mean uh he's an innocent guy who's mistaken for someone and it sets him off on this on this path it's it's very hitchcockian you know that that whole idea of being mistaken for someone else right which we didn't we did i don't know that we mentioned any hitchcock films in our picks this time but it's a favorite theme of hitchcock uh it's a little obvious too to pick uh you know north by northwest or the 39 steps but again yeah if you want uh movies about people who are wrongfully accused of things or, yeah, mistaken or mistaken for, for killers or else, what yeah, yeah the, hitchcock is the master of all those and there's tons of picks so uh my first pick though it, it just sort of fortuitous i mean i'm sort of fitting a, a square peg into a round hole here but i just saw it yesterday and i really wanted to talk about it so i'm gonna fudge fudge it a little bit but uh it's called red rock west from 1993 directed by john Dahl. it's now streaming on crackle as I was saying to Allison before we started recording, I had the good fortune to see this yesterday at uh, a marathon of Nicolas Cage films at the Alamo Draft House in uh, Yonkers. And I had never seen the film before and really, really liked it and, and just want to recommend it to people. I'm sure people have heard of it for the most part. I'm not sure how many people have seen it. I certainly hadn't, even though it's been, for the most part, available since it came out, it, it's kind of a lost movie in some ways. It was made independently, and then it was acquired, I think, by Columbia Pictures. But then they decided, uh, you know, in the words of uh, F. Murray Abraham from Inside Lewin Davis, that they didn't see a lot of money in the picture. So they basically sold it off to cable, to I think HBO, sold the movie off, uh, and the movie played on, on cable uh, in the United States, and that was sort of the end of it here at first. Uh, but the movie played theatrically around the world, became a success in a lot of places. It was seen by a programmer for the Toronto Film Festival who played it at Toronto. And then and then this guy who owns the Roxy Theater in San Francisco saw it at Toronto. He loved it. And he actually tracked down the rights owners and then took it upon himself to basically, like, play the film in theaters, at his theater, and then, like, in theaters around the country. And it ended up becoming uh, quite successful that way in theaters. So it's had this sort of strange life but it also had that sort of you know stink on it much like the way an accusation in the hunt there's some accusations that even when you're cleared allison they stay with they, you the a little stink bit. stays with you yeah so this movie even though it had played festivals it had played around the world very successfully you know back in the early 90s if you premiered on cable you were a tv movie that was really kind of the kiss of death to some people which is a shame because it's a fantastic movie it's just a great crime movie that I think really stands shoulder to shoulder with all the other great crime films of that era. Uh, it's not quite as self-referential and metatextual as a lot of the crime films, the Quentin Tarantinos of that era. And maybe that's why it didn't really find, you know, a distributor. It didn't find the mainstream success was it was kind of out of fashion at that time. It was a little, it wasn't very forward thinking. It wasn't really on trend. It's really a throwback. It's this kind of very old school neo-noir set in Wyoming. Nicolas Cage plays the main character. He's this drifter. He's looking for work. And he winds up in this bar in Red Rock, Wyoming. And the bartender sees his car with Texas plates and mistakes him for a hitman he's hired from Texas. I thought you were supposed to be here last Friday. 
I was beginning to think I'd have to find somebody else. You are here for the job, aren't you? You must be Wayne. Yes. And you're Lyle from Dallas, right? Right. Good. I just, uh, should take your coffee and let's go back in the office. And the job winds up being uh, $5,000 to kill his wife. And from there, there's all kinds of incredible twists, which I w- will not spoil. But it's just an incredibly suspenseful and very clever and really well-written and very well-constructed crime uh, noir film. Just takes all these great twists and turns. Uh, the director, John Dahl, he, you know, it's not flashy. Again, it's really not like that Tarantino-style crime film. But it's just very to the point and very effective. And he does have some nice moments uh, with the camera, including – uh, because at a certain point, the movie becomes about Nicolas Cage just trying to extricate himself from this situation, trying to leave Red Rock, but he can't. So he keeps showing now the, the signs, now leaving Red Rock, and he tries to leave. And then a few minutes later, he gets dragged back into town, and the <laughs> sign, welcome to Red Rock, or now entering Red Rock. Every time he uses it, it gets a little bit funnier using that. Uh, the cast is really great. J.T. Walsh is the bartender. Lara Flynn Boyle plays his wife, and Dennis Hopper is like the final piece of the puzzle. I won't even tell you who he plays, but it's a great crime thriller. It kind of reminded me actually more of Blood Simple than like a a Tarantino film. I think if you like Blood Simple, you really like this. And, you know, I regret taking so long to see it. Maybe the stink had affected me, too, because I remember seeing it for years in like Blockbuster. It was always there, but I never got around to it. And uh, I'm glad I finally got to see it. It's it's very, very worth your time. That's Red Rock West. It's now streaming on Crackle. Yeah, you know, the same thing happened with John Dahl's third film, The Last Seduction, the Last Seduction which was kind of yes. famously blocked from uh, Linda Fiorentino, had a great lead performance in that, a kind of star-making, or should maybe should have been star-making. It didn't really work out maybe the way she would have wanted. But uh, performance in that, and it couldn't be nominated for an Oscar because it premiered on cable first. Right. I mean, there's literal, like, there's the literal stink, and then there's, like, the metaphorical stink. Yeah. And uh, I think Red Rock West, which was his second film, the film he made right before Last Seduction, definitely had the more of the metaphor- metaphorical stink. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he's mostly directing for TV now, but those first three films especially are pretty solid. And he also made Joyride with um, the late Paul Walker. That's, That's supposed like, to be really good, it's too, It's a pretty right? good B-movie. I yeah, haven't seen so... that one. I mean, his probably his most famous movie is Rounders, which you haven't even mentioned, which yes. is now like a cult. A cult favorite. And considered part of what kind of launched the poker boom, really. Yes, so... Are those I'm sure many of those are out there. Time streaming. to write a piece about reconsidering <laughs> John, uh, John Dahl. Dahl. He's he's up for it. All right. Well, on to my first pick, which is also streaming on Crackle. Uh, mine is In a Lonely Place, which is directed by Nicholas Ray, 1950 film. Humphrey Bogart and Gloria Graham as really a fantastically dark romance uh, in this, which is a, a film I really love. But in the film, Humphrey Bogart plays Dixon Steele. <laughs> who is this kind of embittered screenwriter who hasn't written for a while. And he is out basically uh, being taken out to dinner to be considered for this job. He takes the hat check girl home because she's been reading the book. He's they want him to adapt. He has her just tell him the story of this kind of pot boiler, which he obviously doesn't want to adapt, sends her home and she ends up getting murdered. 
and he is uh, the main suspect for the murder, except that his neighbor, who is an actress played by Gloria Graham, Laurel Gray, uh, saw saw them arrive, saw that it wasn't under duress, and basically is the main witness in his defense. So the two of them end up starting a romance. And from there, I think, like, this this film spans so many genres, but one of the most interesting things about it is that we see the events unfold in the beginning, which seem like, you know, unless there's like a twist coming along the way, seem to clear him from any suspicion. And yet uh, Dixon Steele is such a difficult character. He's prone to these rages. He says he, he says things that are almost for someone who is under suspicion for murder still. He's prone to saying and doing really suspicious things like, uh, acting out the murder at a dinner party or, you know, just like, just has no, almost this like deliberate self-sabotage. And so the kind of heat between the two of them in this romance that starts is balanced out by uh, Laurel Gray beginning to doubt herself about, you know, beginning to be worried about her own safety and beginning to wonder if either he really is a murderer or the whole maybe separate issue of if he's just a dangerous person. Well, it's about this woman, Alethea Bruce. She's very rich, see. She owns this big mansion on Long Island, smack on the ocean. She's got sailboats and cars and jewels and everything. And she's a widow. Hmm. Lucky Alfia. Uh-huh. She's got many men in her life. And they all take her to the Stork and the 21 Club and the El Morocco. But they don't send Alethea. Ah. Althea. Then one day she looks out and she sees a new lifeguard standing outside her window. And it's very beautifully described the way she sees him. He looks like a bronze Apollo. Oh, I do hope it's going to be in Technicolor. Yeah, I'll be sure to suggest that to the producer. I would. The film raises all of these questions about what the appropriate behavior is. You know, what, what do you, how do you behave not suspiciously uh, if you are, if, if people think you might have been involved in a murder? How do you act grief stricken enough how do you you know right. all of these things that that dixon still does not do because he's kind of a a son of a bitch basically but also played by bogart so he's uh, extremely compelling and attractive in his kind of craggy way uh i i just i this has this everything rests in this on the two lead performances and uh bogart is really good in this but also so is graham as someone who's she kind of knows what she's getting into and there is this real sense of a connection between her uh and and bogart's character but at the same time she is fine she finds herself deeper and deeper into a relationship that is not abusive but is certainly not far from abusive and has like these specters of of danger in it it's uh it's a fantastic movie it uses the the idea, the accusation in a way that I don't think most, it, that doesn't go in the traditional film noir direction. And I think really becomes both a great story of someone, you know, of like a murder and how that folds out, but also of a, char- a, a character study. Um, so if this is one you haven't seen, it is right there on Crackle and it is a fantastic film. It definitely so, is. That's a great pick. That That's uh, In a Lonely Place on Crackle. Okay. My next pick is a little more traditional. And actually, as I'm thinking about it, I probably actually undersold the uh, wrongfully accused part of Red Rock West. Because now that I think about it, there's a, later in the film, he is accused of something he didn't do. <laughs> but I'm, I was so cautious to, you know, now I don't want to spoil anything. And I didn't get to really that part of the movie that I kind of forgot that actually it is. 
there is that aspect too. It's a mistaken identity and a wrongfully accused. It's, it's covering all the bases, basically. <laughs> uh, so definitely watch that movie. Okay, my next pick though that this one there can there can be no argument about. It is a wrongfully accused movie. And, in fact, the movie Wrongfully Accused, starring Leslie Nielsen as a man who says, I've been wrongfully accused, was a parody of, Allison, do you know? The Fugitive? The Fugitive from 1993, (laughs) directed by Andy Davis and rentable on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. And I almost didn't pick this movie because, for me, Allison, this almost feels like such a ubiquitous movie. I imagine everyone has seen it. But then I wondered, it, this movie is now 20 years old. Oh, gosh. And it's hard to think about. The reason everyone of our generation has seen it is because it played on cable every single day for probably three straight years. Oh, my God. So many times. It was ubiquitous. I'm sure you and I could both just recite every line that Tommy then, Lee Jones has. And then if it came up with a scene towards uh, where they're at the dam, you just have oh, to sit and watch. You have to oh, watch. There's so, so many. There's so many great scenes. But I wonder, you know, because it's not like a movie like uh, Pulp Fiction or uh, Fargo or one of these movies that kind of became sort of like touchstones of great 90s cinema. This you know, was a blockbuster. It was a blockbuster, and I think it has a good reputation for that. Yeah. But I really wonder if our younger listeners, you know, if somebody is 18, 20 years old now who was too young to see it when it first played, like, did, have they ever even seen it? I wonder. I don't know. Yeah, if that, let us know. Let us know. Yeah, curious. I'm really genuinely curious. Please email us at uh, svu at filmspottingsvu.com, or you can tweet at us uh, at filmspottingsvu. I'm curious to hear because to me this was like a formative film. I mean, I watched this movie a million times and I, I loved it. Too, I really yeah. and I really would hold it up as one of the great thrillers of that era. It's it's pretty spectacular. I actually didn't realize both of my picks are from 1993, but it just <laughs> kind of worked out that way. Uh, it's based on a television show uh, of the same name, The Fugitive. Basically, the TV show was one of these kind of things where it was a, almost an anthology film where there was one main character, sort of like The Incredible Hulk. You know, this character would kind of wander into a town, get into a misadventure while he was sort of looking for clues. His his wife had been killed by a one-armed man, and he was searching for him. But really, most of the show was more about these side plots, uh, and, and that was... Uh, the, the the wrong man thing was kind of just the the thing that kept him moving on the thing that kept him moving on that he was being chased by the cops so he could never stay in one place but really while he was in a town he was trying to help other people usually as a doctor or whatever he was doing so the movie though is really just the plot it really is the it's that wrongfully accused part he's a you know accused of of murdering his wife uh, this this guy with one arm supposedly did it but no one believes him and then he's able to escape during this. What was a spectacular sequence at the time, I, I, I imagine now the special effects look not quite as good as they did back then. The train derailment, the bus thing, <laughs> uh, you know, Harrison Ford jumping out of the bus, running away from the train, all that stuff. Something tells me we, we probably shouldn't look at it because it won't be as good as it, looked, uh, it looks in our memories. Uh, but then he goes on the run, so he's, he's trying to stay away from the, the U.S. Marshals, played by Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, as the leader of the of the marshals, Gerard, and then and trying to clear his name, and it's just a great double chase. You know, he's chasing the guy who killed his wife, and Tommy Lee Jones is chasing Harrison Ford. And there are some great set pieces. You mentioned the one at the dam is a classic one. Uh, the one at the end, which is like oh, in yeah. a hotel and like the laundry, is another great one. There's a great chase scene that involves a parade. That's fabulous. The whole scene's in the hospital. The scene's like, in the hospital. It's, it's an exciting movie. It's a very exciting movie, and it's really enlivened by a great Tommy Lee Jones performance, which actually won a, an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, surprisingly. 
because uh, this is not the kind of movie you would think that would win Oscars because it is just a really solid uh, blockbuster. But he's he's that good in it, and he deserved it. I mean that the speech, right? The classic speech about what do you want? Oh, it's a hard target search of every hen house, in house, out house, farmhouse. He's extremely curmudgeonly, yes. in a very charming way. Yes, it's the most. Tr- yeah, it's like Tommy Lee Jones is in real life, but you like him. Yeah. <laughs> Listen up, ladies and gentlemen. Our fugitive has been on the run for ninety minutes. Average foot speed over uneven ground, barring injuries, four miles an hour. That gives us a radius of six miles. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. Checkpoints go up to 15 miles. Your fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. You know, again, I'm curious. If you haven't seen it ever, absolutely worth a watch. If you have seen it, yeah, worth a worth a rewatch because it's such a great film. But I am curious how this movie has aged in terms of our, our younger viewers. Do they know it? Do they have they seen it? Do they love it? Or are they going the fugitive? So let us know about that. I'm really curious. So that's the fugitive. And you can rent that on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. Okay, my next pick is uh it's not one that I would have maybe first thought off the top of my head is wrongfully a, wrong, a movie about being wrongfully accused, but that totally it's actually what guides the entire plot. It is The Warriors, uh, directed by Walter Hill, oh, yeah. 1979 film. Definitely. Yeah, it's available for rent on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, all the usual ones. And it's also available to stream on Amazon Prime. So you have that as a, as a freebie for streaming. Excellent. Yeah, but, you know, this is the, the cult favorites about The Warriors, who are the Coney Island-based gang who are brought up to this conclave of all of the gangs in the city. They're summoned by uh, the leader of... Cyrus, the leader of the Gramercy Rifts, who has this idea to set up, uh, to unify the gangs, and they could just take over the city and rule the city. And unfortunately for Cyrus, even though everyone seems into this, one guy shoots him, the leader of the rogues, and frames the warriors. And suddenly the warriors find themselves up all the way at the top of the Bronx uh, with all of the other gangs in the city hunting for them and having to find their way back to Coney Island, which, you know... Is it it sets up obviously like this great if like kind of like hilarious in that aspect of this is a this is basically a long trek through New York City trying to take the subway multiple times. It's basically like it's what happens to you if you go out at night in New York and the subways aren't running the way they usually do. I think it's a pretty accurate depiction of, of like a, a public transportation. Yeah, anymore. the G yes. train's not running. Yeah, there's one part like where they're sitting in the train and it's not going and they're like. We've been waiting forever. I'm like, I've actually had this exact conversation. Nothing and has changed. And you two were, were wearing a leather I, I was. A vest leather vest with nothing with underneath. With nothing else. And it was cold outside. <laughs> so I just want everyone to appreciate my commitment to yeah. that kind of outfit. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is uh, an extremely stylized, uh, sometimes funny film, uh, in which... All of the gangs of New York are apparently themed. They're very exacting about their outfits. Yep. Um, some of them are mime type things. Some of them are baseball furies who don't talk and are baseball themed. Right. Uh, and the warriors themselves, as you mentioned, go around in leather vests and no shirts. Yeah. But uh, it has a really deeply memorable, you know, near dystopic uh, vision of New York. 
in which there seems to be no normal people. You know, you see people running the subway, selling tokens. Every once in a while, there's someone who gets harassed by the, the gangs as they're gathering. But otherwise, it seems to be just emptied of people. Maybe one of my favorite scenes of the movie is in which uh, Swan and Mar uh, Mercy are on the train, finally. And this, like, group of disco kids basically come in and, like, sit down. Or maybe they're, like, on their way from a prom or something. They're some of the few regular people we've seen in the movie. And they kind of stare and are uncomfortable by these two beat-up-looking gang kids. And it suggests the subjectivity that the movie might have in which uh, its own universe maybe exists in, you know, like, this larger bubble. or And that there's actually New York going on. That mm -hmm. it's played up in the minds of these mostly self-aggrandizing kids. Mm. But they're absolute, the Warriors are absolutely wrongfully accused and uh, are, because of it, hunted down all the way from the Bronx down back to Coney Island. Uh, it's a, just an incredibly fun movie to watch and a very hard-to-forget one and some very famous lines in it, including the one towards the end at the climactic fight scene where someone clicks bottles together on his fingers and says, Warriors, come out and play. And uh, it's streaming on Amazon Prime. So if you haven't gotten a chance to see it yet or haven't revisited it for a while, it is definitely worth a streaming. You're standing right now with nine delegates from a hundred gangs. And there's over a hundred more. That's 20,000 hardcore members. 40,000 counting affiliates. And 20,000 more not organized, but ready to fight. 60,000 soldiers. Now there ain't but 20,000 police in the whole town. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Some Warriors, streaming on Amazon Prime and available to rent on all the usual suspects. Now we come to our listener's choice section in which we review a film of your choosing. And in our last episode, we offered a trio of the films for you to vote on. Michael Mann's The Keep, the Oscar-nominated Doc The Square, and the Danish film The Hunt, which is also up for an Oscar in March for Best Foreign Language Film. And The Hunt ended up winning with over half the votes. Uh, someone left a comment on the poll. Kayan wrote that he wanted us to try and find a way to address the ending of the film. He said that uh, he didn't realize it at first, but upon addressing, discussing it with friends afterwards, we found we had completely different interpretations of what it meant. So uh, maybe we can find a way to do that towards the end of this review and we'll uh, warn people. So if you want to skip, uh, you can do that. The Hunt is directed by Thomas Vinterberg, whose best known film is the first feature from the dogma movement, The Celebration. The Hunt stars Mads Mikkelsen as Lucas, a kindergarten school teacher living in the small community in which he grew up. His marriage has ended and not happily. He's in a battle over custody for his teenage son, Marcus, but he does have his dog, Fanny, and a group of friends he's known for years, with whom he drinks and hunts and goes swimming in a very cold-looking lake, uh, among them his best friend, Theo. 
And then a combination of incidents leads Clara, who is Theo's daughter and who's also one of Lucas's students, to suggest to another staff person at the school that he exposed himself to her. And an inquiry by someone higher up, filled with leading questions, turns the accusations into something more serious. And soon Lucas is being accused of molesting multiple children and becomes a town pariah, everyone turning on him, sometimes violently. It is a devastating thing to watch. And my first question for you, Matt, is if you see this as a kind of inverse of The Celebration, that was a film about childhood abuse that had been hidden and kind of glossed over by in a wealthy family. And in this case, uh, this an accusation of abuse immediately turns a whole community against someone. Yes, the answer is yes. And in fact, I'm looking at my notes and the first note I have <laughs> is... In many ways, this is the opposite of the celebration. <laughs> in that case, someone comes out and accuses someone of sexual molestation, and everyone uh, believes he is lying, and no one trusts his, his accusation, but then it turns out to be true. In this film, it is the opposite. The person is innocent. I'm just re literally reading my notes. Well, the person is go. innocent. Someone We're lies and accuses sync. him, and instantly everyone believes the accusation. Yes. So, yes, I absolutely thought about that. And it is interesting that it is sort of the inverse. But again, in both cases, you see the destructive nature, not just of uh, not just of abuse, which is a horrific crime, but also just the allegation, which I think uh, is interesting about this movie is just the destructiveness of of that allegation. And as I think we mentioned earlier in the show, it's like th that stink will not come off, even though, you know, there's no ambiguity about about this guy and about what he did he's clearly innocent yeah he, from the point of view of the audience we never for a second doubt we never for a second he, think that he's actually done it it's not like there's a scene where we see him walk off into the distance with this child and then we pick things up later and we're left to wonder could it have happened could it have not happened no that that's a way to do this movie but that's not what this movie is about uh it's very clear or at least it felt to me very clear He's a good, innocent guy. He's just a nice guy. He's a kindergarten teacher. He's a, you know, and he's he's just a sweet man and he's lonely and you know, he is is sort of struck down by, mis by misfortune essentially. He's uh not even really accused. It's just sort of that this little girl who is so beautifully cast because she is the most angelic, sweet little thing you could ever imagine. And a, and a very good actress. A very actress. good actress, yeah. too. She's a good actress as well. But I think it's even, almost even more important that she just looks the part of an angel. She yeah. just looks the sweetest thing. Like, first of all, that someone so sweet could do something so horrible without realizing it, of course. But then just that everyone believes her because look at her. How could you distrust that face? You know, like uh, – so yes, I definitely think there is a comparison to be made, and I think it's an interesting, an interesting one that it is an inversion. The other movie I thought of, although we don't have to talk about this a lot, is Capturing the Freedmans. It reminded me a lot of that great documentary about this family that was sort of torn asunder by accusations of sexual abuse and child molestation, all these sorts of things. And there's a little more ambiguity there. It's Definitely. not it's not a, really 100 percent clear, but that movie does get into some of the things that this movie gets into about, which are like the hysteria and the sort of group think that can take over in these situations where when one person makes an accusation, um, it can very quickly escalate out of control. And that's another thing I liked about this movie a lot was how quickly it went from, you know, we're going to you should maybe go home today. His boss saying to Mads Mikkelsen's character after it, this first sort of thing comes out. It's like, you should go home. We're going to, then we'll figure out the proper way to address this too. Like basically the next day, it's like, 
when she sees him she show runs up, away. she runs away from him and in, in basically in terror. Yeah, which I thought was interesting. That how quickly that happens, I thought was a very very interesting uh, choice. Right. Well, I, the specific, like this accusation in particular, like this type of thing, I think is also has become such this well known terrible news story right the sure. frightening news story and i think and it's the worst thing the, it's worst, the worst thing, thing you right. could do i it's, mean and that's, there's I a think, reason to take it this seriously right and i think what's interesting is that it also it feeds into in, in a way where if someone was accused of like murdering people or something it'd be much easier to write off you know and be like no we've known him for years right but this we're kind of we're, we've been told already that this is something that like you know it could come out of nowhere it would never be someone you necessarily suspect right. it's someone that is trusted that that like it's this infection almost right yes. it's this this element in someone that you might never be able to see right and it's such a repellent terrible action mm-hmm. against like innocence that that it actually becomes a thing that you can very believably see the community turn on him. Mm. But I thought I really liked the ways in which the film reinforces just how long he's been in the community, you know, just like how he's, these are his childhood friends that he's grown up with, who he spends a lot of time with and the way, the kind of shock of him suddenly getting dropped from it. Like this is a close community. It's not one in which, you can just blend in and do something else. Like literally he's faced with the guy at the supermarket telling him, you know, you're not welcome to shop here anymore. Uh, And it was, did you find the progress believable? In what way? In terms of how it developed. How it escalated? Yeah. Or just even in terms of like that, that moment where it happened so quickly. I I did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I did the thing. I mean, if we want to talk about, do we believe this or believe that? And nitpick. I did like the movie. I mean, the one thing I sort of questioned, although I thought Mads Mikkelsen's performance was excellent, particularly in like the last third of the movie, I yeah. thought it was really spectacular. It did seem to me I was sort of confused why he didn't protest his innocence more, mm. even because it, he seems so clearly innocent. And in those beginning scenes, maybe it's just shock. Yeah. But he he's very quiet and he doesn't say, well. That's absurd. I could never have done that. It's I'm innocent. He occasionally he'll say things like that, but he doesn't really like if I was accused of something like this, maybe it's just me putting myself into the situation too much. If I was accused of something like this, God forbid, I would be screaming to the high heavens that I didn't do it. And he seems so sad and kind of shocked and depressed that he almost just kind of accepts it. Yeah, it does. It didn't bother me entirely. It didn't bother me that much, but I, I think it does. The film does try and, and set him up as someone who gets, who just doesn't speak up a lot. You know, right. in the relationship, for instance, he has uh, his coworker is kind of flirting with him, and essentially, her, his coworker has to like forcefully date him. You right. know, like she, he is not opposed. She's to very this forward, and he but he has to takes like, a long time to catch a long the hint. time to catch up. Yes. Yeah, and I think at a later point, someone kind of says out loud, like, you know, you're always getting yeah. pushed around, but and he's true. kind of beaten down by his ex wife too. Yes. Yeah, but it is true. Like he does, and I, I suppose you could kind of write off part of it as like he just never believes that anyone could take this seriously. True, but. Uh, he does seem like he should be acting more in his behalf right away because it is like the worst thing you could accuse someone of. There's a point. There's a point in the early like where they're talking about it where someone actually throws up just in the thought of what might have happened. You know, Uh, and yeah, it does seem like he should be speaking up more. I mean, in terms of like the escalation of that of this rumor or or the you know the 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 crime kind of spreading around town. I mean, I thought that was. I don't. I honestly don't know if it's realistic. Thank God, but. 
uh, I, I thought it was effective, and that was sort of the point, was just how how quickly it does spread and how quickly this tiny little lie, or not even a lie, it's more like a misinterpretation, you know, a, a confused child and a misinterpretation by an adult, how quickly that basically, and, you know, I don't think the child necessarily have the best intentions, but the, the woman who... Uh, sort of hears her accusation, has the best of intentions. She wants to protect the kids. Yeah. And how from that, from that sort of good decision or good intention can spring some really horrible things too and very quickly and and irreparably, I think is sort of the point. Yeah. You know, because again, that stink will will never wash off. And we'll talk more about the ending later when we're yeah. getting to the end here. But I think that was very much the point of it. I, I didn't bother me. I, you asked the question though. I don't know no, if it I bothered was, you. I, it didn't bother me either. I, I thought it... And there's something that's really interesting that gets said in it, which like a few people say, I think that children don't lie. You know, we believe that children, children don't lie, which is a kind of ridiculous thing to say when you, you know, like children are like what they're trying to say is like these children are innocent. Like they don't have these, like they don't have guile or maliciousness, which I think is true. Like you don't ever see the little girl as having like having set the done this, set this emotion as like. Revenge. She's or not Macaulay like Culkin in the no, Good Son. Exactly, but that she is mad at him though. She is I mean, mad she, at him for something completely different. different she doesn't yes. understand what she kind of. She doesn't set do it on motion. purpose, right? Yeah. She doesn't. But understand. I, I think like it's such an interesting thing to say because you're like, no, children do lie, and also their sense of reality is still being shaped. Right. Like the scene in which the little girl is first questioned, like the ways in which she's responding to cues and kind of trying to please yes. the person talking to her are so clear. Very well done. And it's, yeah, it's, it's handled very well. Yeah. Uh, well, and I also like that, you know, after the, the sort of, uh, the lie, you know, she does sort of lie again, not deliberately, but she says, or goes this along. Thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, she, I mean, she says that, Okay, whatever. There's a misunderstanding, and then she sort of goes with it. Goes with it, yeah. right? But then she tries to say that she was just she was lying, or she was confused, or she tries to insist that he didn't do anything wrong. And at that point, it's too late because then everyone believes that she's been so traumatized that she doesn't want to, like, she's forgotten it, or that like nothing she can say can take it back. Which again feeds back into that same idea that once this cat is out of the bag, there's no putting it back in. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting too. Yeah. The the. That no one wants to hear the other side of it. Also, once you've right. accepted this terrible idea that like you have to kind of see it through, there's no going back on right. it or doubting it. Especially because you've done all, well, at a certain point, you've already sort of accused this guy. Like you can't again, you can't take it back once yeah. you've accused someone of it, and uh, you know as uh, and the town has sort of turned against him. It, it's tar- It's tough to like just pretend like it hasn't happened. Yeah, it did. It made me think a lot about like the internet like pitchforks kind of like the the mobs that we have recently you know where like people in some cases justified and in some cases like more complicated but where things like the rape case in mary's maryville you know or like the um i don't know like smaller injustices it doesn't even have to be that big but it's really people like just like someone writes something yes it gets picked up for whatever reason and everyone descends on Facebook pages and like right. you know, Twitter and all thousands of, that. of and, hateful yeah. comments. And yeah. that there's a way in which, and this has nothing, you know, this act, like this injustice that's been done, has nothing to do with you personally, other mm. than like, but it invokes this like sense almost, of outrage, sen- sense of outrage, and that kind of like justified outrage, right? Like right. you, this person deserves anger. Yes. And even though you were a total stranger, like you can give this anger to them. And there's this way in which the in the film and the way it builds it does speak to like 
the maybe like this like lingering kind of untapped aggression or something that's just there in people right uh you know the mob mentality yeah and like as much as this this town is shown as being like pretty idyllic in a lot mm. of ways but that it the kind of disgust and the way like this is like you said this is like the worst thing you can do really you know that it opens up a way a tar or like presents a target for people to take aim at and yeah. suddenly all of this anger just comes out at him you know that's a, yeah that's really interesting i have to admit i didn't think of it at all in part because the movie is although it's seemingly set in you know present day there's no internet really there's no use of smartphones you know when they use cell phones they're not like you know iphones and there isn't any really discussion of any of the things you're saying and yet you're absolutely right the 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 psychology on display the mentality of these people and the behavior they exhibit really does reflect something that we do see online uh, so many times where small little slights become, you know, or mistaken mistakes become hugely overblown. Oh, you know, the, the perfect example is like there was that case of this person was accused of writing something horrible on their check, right? Yeah, exactly. A homophobic remark exactly, on their check yeah. that they, you know, that they couldn't tip them because of that. And, you know, that's a horrible thing to do to someone. And the, that got story got spread like wildfire, got picked up. And uh, the the people that were accused of doing it were getting these horrible things. And then they presented – they showed their check from their credit card statement, and they had left a tip and didn't write anything on it. So someone else had doctored it. Yeah, possibly but, the person who took it viral in the first place. Potentially. Yes. We don't know. But right. someone else did it, but they're the ones who got – you know, rage. and it's so and, difficult and, to turn that story around. Exactly. And yeah. and probably for the rest of the time, that's going to follow them just like this is like, right. even though they were essentially exonerated, if you never saw the exoneration part, which certainly didn't spread nearly as virally as the accusations, because mm -hmm. that's not as good a story. Right. Uh, it's really going to follow them. So, yeah, I think that's a fabulous point. Before we get to the ending. Yes. I want to ask you one question, which was how did you think this movie was as like a Netflix movie, as a streaming movie? Because it's a tough sit. Yeah, I mean we've we've complimented the movie. It's a very good movie, but it's tough to watch. I I, I feel mean, I like I took a few breaks because yeah. mostly because I found it very upsetting. Yes, it's it is just wrenching, and yes. I think like uh, and Matt Mickelson or Mickelson is uh, he underplays it to a certain point in a way that makes it kind of more devastating. He uh, it it takes a while for the devastation to kind of sink in. Yeah. in a way that's very effective. Yeah, I I I kind of appreciated the chance to step away a bit, but it probably lessened the overall emotional impact in yeah. a way, you know, it would be different if I was if I were watching it in the theater in a single sitting. It feels like to me as much as I enjoyed the movie uh, and it was impressed by it, maybe enjoyed wasn't the right word, but I I don't know if it's a great movie to watch at home because it is very easy to to look away and it's also very hard not to look away. I mean, several times I basically watched it in one sitting, but I was very tempted to turn it off to do something else because it is. It's really upsetting. I mean, he is an innocent guy. Like, it's not – there isn't that ambiguity there. It, it, he's pretty clearly just being, you know, uh, uh, tortured yeah. by his, his community, and, and I found it very hard to watch. We didn't even really mention but his his teenage son comes into the movie and is 
also just uh, in a great performance is yes. just heartbreaking. And again, and he's even more innocent because he really didn't do anything, but he yeah. sort of becomes a victim of it as well. Just, yeah, just by by association. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a it's definitely a tough one. It's not one that you watch when you're coming. I'm probably home not going to be watching this one again. This <laughs> yeah. might be a one timer. Yeah, but, but it's, it's a good movie. It is very very good. All right, well let's get to the spoilers here very quickly and just spend a minute or two on them. Yeah, let's take, we'll give it two minutes. Um, so skip ahead two minutes uh, starting now if you. All right, I'll keep an eye on it. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure what other interpretation there could be to the to the ending. Actually, Allison, how did you how did you take it? Uh, I I thought that it was just uh, it, it it spoke to the fact that he will never be fully cleared. Right, that there will always be people there who who even no matter what kind of exoneration he gets, who will secretly be like, "You are a monster." Yes, yeah, but uh, it. It was interesting the way that it skipped the year. It skipped all of the parts in which, you know, he was, he basically reintegrated into society. Yep. And it went right back. It went just right to that moment. Right. I mean, I liked the ending uh, to a degree because it was, you know, it seemed so idyllic at first. You know, like how, how could it be so easy to just integrate back into society? And you, I think you see some awkwardness when he's shaking hands with these people who previously were accusing him and pushing him around and stuff. But generally, he seems like he's, you know, past it. But then, you know, that that, uh, you know, the shot in the woods reminds you that, no, he again, what we've said several times, just that idea that once you've been once you have that scarlet letter, you know, pinned to your chest, it's hard to take it off. Yeah. And I did think, I, you know, I it, it was certainly impactful. But in some ways, the moment in which he carries Clara across this, the room was more yes. just the way in which he's so careful with her. And the understanding hesitant of just to like go hesitant help her. to go help her, but that he can't really blame her either. Right. Uh, I thought that was so well done. In some ways, kind of overshadowed that last little punchline. Of yeah, sorts. it might be. It might have been a little too overdone. Maybe the the shooting thing. I mean, that seemed a little. I mean, there's only so many people that were on that uh, trip, right? There's only so many people that could have been yeah. shooting him. So even though you don't know who it is, and I feel like you could probably uh, figure it out. Figure and perhaps it out. that was too too broad of a gesture i don't yeah, know but uh either way it seems like maybe he should move yeah i'm not sure we'll have to hear whoever left the comment maybe yeah, write us in and tell us, us what were the know. other interpretations or what else were you thinking about it that we might have missed uh, i'd love to hear hear about that svu at filmspotting svu.com so that's the hunt very powerful but very dark film uh, uh i think we both uh glad we saw it but we'll not be watching it again anytime soon but if you want to watch it or you want to watch it again it is streaming now on netflix now we come to our Behind the Eight Ball section, which we offer up three new offerings on streaming, two listener recommendations, and one film or TV show chosen randomly from our Netflix, My List. Matt, you are up first. Are you ready? Yes, I am. All right. Three new releases. Okay. My first movie is one we recommended in our opening break segment a few months back, and it was also my pick for the They Didn't Get It Award during our 2013 Sfuvi Awards. Back on Filmspotting SVU number 50. If you didn't listen to that episode, you can go back and find it on iTunes or the website. Uh, but since I love this movie, and because it got such middling reviews, they didn't get it after all, I'm going to recommend it one more time as it's now streaming for free on Amazon Prime. It's The Bling Ring from Sofia Coppola, which is based on the misadventures of this real-life gang of teenagers who burglarize celebrities' homes. And it was one of, I thought, one of last year's most interesting zeitgeisty movies linking capitalism and crime. And maybe the best critique I've, I've seen to date about 
the modern culture of exhibitionism, which is really the motivation that's driving everything in this movie. I mean, why else would Paris Hilton show up in this movie playing herself in a cameo role, but also allowing Sofia Coppola to film in her home to recreate the crimes that were committed by the real-life bling ring? What other reason if not to, uh, to, uh, to, to flaunt it, right? If you've got it, flaunt it. And if you don't got it, you take it and then you flaunt it. This is that's that's what it is. It's the tragedy of oversharing. That's that's what it's all about. So that's the bling ring, and it's available now on Amazon Prime. Uh, next, I've actually got a recommendation from HBO Go. We've gotten some emails and comments and tweets from listeners asking uh, to throw in some HBO Go recommendations. A lot of people use it, so I'm going to start trying to throw them in occasionally. Here is one. Uh, it's a recommendation for Network Sydney Lumet's. Hyperprescient and really never more timely film yeah. about the descent of TV news into <laughs> ratings chasing hyperbolic hell. Uh, I think it would make an excellent double feature with uh, Anchorman 2, The Legend Continues, actually. <laughs> and I think it would be a fun exercise to watch the film now uh, uh, and watch the fall, particularly of, you know, the main guy, the news anchor, Howard Beale, who suffers this breakdown but is kept on the air because. You know, he, he delivers ratings. So ratings his corp- gold. Ratings yeah. gold. So his corporate overlords, they don't want to take him off the air. Even though he's crazy, he's clearly, you know, psychotic. They cannot take him off the air. But comparing him to, like, people, actual people that wind up in the news these days, like Charlie Sheen, I think is a great example. I think there's a lot of parallels to be drawn between Howard Beale and Charlie Sheen. So that's just one example. There's lots of them. And it's a, it's a great movie if you've never seen it. That's Network. It's available on HBO Go through February 28th. So you've got about a month. And finally... I, just an absolute delight to be able to say that now streaming on Warner Archive Instant, one of the second greatest film of all time. I know it's coming. Jim Cotta. Of course. It's now streaming. <laughs> it was brought to our attention by uh, some listeners. We appreciate that. You can now watch the classic story of Olympic gymnast Kurt Thomas uh, engaged in a mortal combat in a fake Eastern European country named Parmistan. That's where the cheese comes from. Uh, he's been sent there by the U.S. government to uh, win this game and uh he does it by fighting but because he's a gymnast trained in the martial arts he does it with fighting that's been infused with gymnastics moves so magically out of nowhere there will be a you know like an uneven bar or a pommel horse will just magically appear built into the into the architecture of parmistan it's a it's a place where it's a magical place yes gymnast gymnastics goes all the way back to the ancient parmistanians they invented gymnastics actually uh, no, actually, they don't say that in the movie, but that would make more sense. Anyway, this is one of my absolute favorite movies. It's a delight. It is in- completely insane. It's absolutely hilarious. And uh, as I think we've mentioned on the show before, Allison, as her wedding present to me <laughs> five years ago, bought me an authentic prop sword from the film, which is it's in this office somewhere. It's buried in a box somewhere, but I have it here. And thanks to you, Allison, I've killed eight men with it. That's so good. It's, it's amazing that your wife still talks to me after I, know. I after I'm I really surprised your wedding present. She lets yeah. you come here and record it, this. It Podcasts, they're not admissible in court, right? Is evidence? <laughs> that's just No, okay, I didn't think so. All right, so that's Jimkata. It is an absolute masterpiece. I I, well, I don't know how much. I think it's what? 10 bucks a month for Warner Archive I think something like that. Yeah. 9, 10 bucks. Whatever it is, it's worth it just to watch Jimkata. Three or four times a month. So there you go. Chimkata now streaming on Warner Archive Instant. All right. Two listener recommendations. This first one is from Adam in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He says, my Netflix recommendation is The Woman Who Wasn't There. This documentary tells the tale of a woman who rose to be a major voice for the survivors of 9-11 who may not have even been anywhere near New York City 
on September 11th, 2001. I, have you heard of this film, Allison? No. I haven't either, but that sounds fascinating. It does. So I'll have to check it out. That's The Woman Who Wasn't There, streaming on Netflix. And I've also got a recommendation here from Jeremy, who says, Not sure if it has come up before, but Newlyweeds on Netflix struck the right mix of funny and poignant for me. I laughed out loud several times, but came away from it feeling for the characters and their situation. It sort of comes across for me as a truly powerful anti-drug message without being over-the-top painful to watch. Thanks for the show. I've been a big fan of you two since the IFC days. That's from Jeremy. Allison, I think you recommended Newly Weeds, didn't you? Yes, I did. I'm glad to hear someone else look at it, too. If if Allison didn't convince you, and I think it's very fair if she didn't, (laughs) because really, it rarely happens to me. Hopefully, you'll take uh, Jeremy's advice and watch Newly Weeds, which is now streaming on Netflix. Okay, and one from your my list. You gave me number 39, and this time that is Ong Bak to the beginning. Uh, I was a big fan of the first Ong Bak yeah, with Tony too. Ja. Definitely one of the last times a martial arts movie really excited me before, like uh, The Raid, Raid and the Raid more too. recently Ninja 2, uh, Shadow of a Tear. Yeah, Ong Bak was really the one before that was the last one that was like, oh my god, you've got to see this movie. But frankly, I didn't hear very good things about Ong Bak 2. No, it was kind of a mess, wasn't it? Supposed to be I've heard it's a... a mess. I heard that it's not connected in any way to Ong Bak, which was a contemporary film. And this one is set like hundreds of years in the past. So I don't know how it's a sequel or even a prequel. Maybe it's a prequel. Um, but that's why it's on the list. But I've never seen it because it's just something that I'm like, I loved Ong Bak. So I should watch this one. But I'm kind of hesitant to do so so probably at some point it might happen but for now there it sits on my my list ang bak to the beginning allison are you ready for your uh, countdown here i'm ready all right start with your uh three new releases okay first up new to netflix is cockneys versus zombies british horror comedy which is written by james moran who wrote Severance, as well as many episodes, several episodes of Doctor Who. I actually know him best from Twitter. He's uh, very entertaining to follow. But uh, this is, uh, as, as labeled, about zombies attacking uh, the you know, east end of London and some thugs fighting back, basically. Uh, and it's, I've seen people compare it to Shaun of the Dead and Attack the Block. I don't think it's, it's not as good as either of those, but it still is uh, pretty funny. It's a good time. And it actually has main characters who are aware of zombies, which is a fairly rare thing in the zombie universe still. So they they know a bit of how the rules work when the zombie apocalypse starts. Also new to Netflix is Mitt, Greg Whitley's film about Mitt Romney, following both his 2008 run and his 2012 run for president. This comes to Netflix a week after the film premiered at Sundance, which is a pretty amazing uh, turnaround. It was acquired by Netflix ahead of the festival. It's actually, I think, its third original doc release. But it's uh, it may not even if you have no particular interest in Romney as a politician, and I did not. It does offer a side of him that really didn't come across on the campaign, which is that you know, as someone who was written off as robotic, as stiff, as a lover of reggae music, perhaps. <laughs> no, but he is a big fan of "Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?" Interesting. Quotes it several times. Interesting. Yes, and there's another part where you see him listening to this, his family listening to "This American Life" while they're eating dinner and like laughing to David Sedaris, ah! and you're like. And he's kind of, he jokes even. Mitt Romney jokes. What? And you're like, you have a sense of humor. He makes fun of like his own reputation. That processes as humor. (laughs) He makes fun of his own reputation as the flipping Mormon, he calls himself. Uh, 
So it it is for someone I never really gave a lot of thought, to, like uh, as a, a figure whose internal life I didn't give a lot of thought to. It's actually a pretty. It's an interesting portrait All right. uh, of of a, a failed candidate. Cool. That is now on Netflix. And new to Fandor is the nineteen seventy or nineteen seventy six film Live Like a Cop. Die Like a Man. Oh, such a great title. From Ruggiero Deodato, who uh, directed Cannibal Holocaust, everyone's favorite extremely violent, uh, you know, initial found footage movie. Uh, This is a film about two undercover cops who are incredibly violent in their ways. It is, uh, it should come as no surprise, say, a Tarantino favorite. And really, I I think what's entertaining about this movie is that you can read it either as a parody of the Dirty Harry and Death Wish type films or as just the craziest, most extreme version of them. Since it's two uh. cops just do it's like just kill everyone and like do much more damage as they pursue criminals in their secret uh, force, that answer, like secret part of the police that answer to nothing uh, than, than actually seems to make any sense. But that is live like a cop, die like a man. It is new to Fandor. Okay, how about uh, two listener recommendations? Okay, first up, we have a listener recommendation from Edwin, who says, I recommend Vamp You, currently streaming on Hulu Plus and Redbox Instant, a witty take on what has quickly become a tired genre. The film centers on Wayne Gretzky, great name, right? A vampire who, after accidentally biting his true love, has been unable to grow fangs for 300 years. The film's original title was, appropriately enough, Dr. Limp Tooth. In present day... I can I like already it. see you adding this to your I like it. I'm adding it as we speak. <laughs> in present day, Gretzky enjoys life as a cool college history teacher until a beautiful young student with an uncanny resemblance to his former love rekindles his ability, his ability to bite. Smart, funny, and self-referential in a manner reminiscent of Seven Psychopaths, the film is a top-notch, wacky comedy that doesn't stray too far. Uh, don't be deterred by the dumb poster and tagline, which was sorority girls suck. It really is a good time. Our second recommendation is for a film that was actually in our listeners' choice poll, but uh, did not win. And this person, Gil, wrote in as it became clear that uh, the film was going to lose. Recommending The Keep. Because this movie is so weird, it really deserves some lip service on your show. The Keep is a kind of movie that would be made by Guillermo del Toro if it were done today. The story follows a squad of Nazi soldiers who convert a Romanian castle into their stronghold during World War II, only to discover that the castle is actually a magical prison for a vampire-like entity, which of course is accidentally released. Least. While the demonic presence is picking off the Nazis one by one, a mysterious man played by Scott Glenn turns up in the small village nearby, intent on slicing up the evil with his, his enchanted sword, as you will, featuring some good performances from the likes of Gabriel Byrne, Ian McKellen, and Jurgen Prochnow, unusual and artsy cinematography reminiscent of Ridley Scott's legend, and a soundtrack by Tangerine Dream. The Keep is a trippy, pulpy B-movie and a must-see for fans of cult cinema, but like I said, it's totally weird. You've been warned uh that is currently streaming on netflix all right and how about one random film from your my list you gave me number 17 which is a film that uh i don't remember the reasons i added this but i think mostly it was just the people involved it is a 2012 indie called supporting characters it's directed by daniel schechter and stars alex karpovsky and terry glow as a pair of film editors hired to save a movie uh, that's just a mess, apparently, in part because the director has gone off to, has kind of gone off the deep end. Uh, and so it's about both their attempts to edit the movie and their partnership and their personal relationships. Uh, you know, I am Alex Karpovsky, I think, is an interesting filmmaker and actor. And I was intrigued by the idea 
of a film about editors trying to you know mangle together a movie from what was a mess that was shot so i added that to my my list and there it is supporting characters number 17 on my my list all right it's time to get to our listeners choice options for our next episode we've got some good ones here we uh, decided to do uh, some some newer movies this time and they're all available on itunes and vod not a ton of exciting new Netflix options or no. at least not at the stuff. moment. I yeah. think that in a few days we're due for a new injection of ones. Unfortunately. Yeah. We just there. caught it at a time where there's not a lot to choose from. So we're going to pick three titles that we haven't had a chance to catch up with. And we're going to do that now. Uh, starting with the Lone Ranger directed by Gore Verbinski, the uh, reunion of Gore Verbinski and Johnny Depp from the pirates uh, movies. This was their uh, fairly unsuccessful attempt to turn the uh, vaunted Lone Ranger character from, I believe, uh, radio first and then television into a new modern franchise with Army Hammer playing the Lone Ranger and Johnny Depp playing his sidekick Tonto and sort of doing a revisionist Western take on that character and uh, on all the sort of Western mythology had a few very vocal uh, defenders in the uh, critical community, uh, including some folks at the Dissolve where I work. But it, it was it was largely it was uh, savaged. Savaged is yeah. a, I think that's fair, and it did not make a lot of money. It was a big flop. There's hundreds of millions of dollars in write downs by Disney over the movie, and uh, at least p- played some role in having Jerry Bruckheimer, who's had a first look deal at Disney for years and years, having that deal. Like when it came up for renewal, they didn't renew the deal, so. It was a flop, but that doesn't mean it was a bad movie, and I'm actually incredibly curious to see it. I was disappointed I haven't had a chance to see it yet, and uh, if you vote for this, I will be quite happy. I'll have an excuse to see it, and to be honest with you, even if it doesn't win, Allison, I probably will see it at some point this year uh, on, on some Friday night when my wife <laughs> falls asleep early and I have nothing to watch. I will be watching The Lone Ranger. So that's option one, The Lone Ranger. It's available on iTunes and VOD. All right. Option two is a film that was far more critically acclaimed, but it wasn't one that I was able to catch when it was in theaters. It is Rush, which is also available on iTunes and VOD, directed by Ron Howard, written by Peter Morgan, uh, quite, you know, all the pedigrees in place. It's a film about the 1976 Formula One racing season and the rivalry between uh, two drivers, James Hunt and Nicky Lauda, played by Chris Hemsworth and Daniel Bruhl, and about how this rivalry basically kind of pushed them both towards nearly destructive ends. But uh, this film was really well received. It was a, kind of a surprise that it didn't turn out to be at least one of the the options as we approached award season. But uh, I think you mentioned, Matt, that they didn't put any money behind it in award season. And there were a lot of different titles out there that were yeah. competing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, as a film that maybe exists in a bit more conventional territory than some of the other uh some of the other awards films uh that are that are have come out on top this is actually you know it's it's gotten a lot of praise and there's something interesting about that to me and about racing which can be extremely boring or extremely exciting on camera and uh it's if this can be made exciting that's something that's that's intriguing to me so that is rush it is available on iTunes and VOD okay and our third option also available on iTunes and VOD it's Lee Daniels, the butler, directed by Gore Verbinski. I'm sorry, wait. <laughs> it's directed by Lee Daniels. Uh, and it stars Forrest Whitaker as Cecil Gaines, 
who was uh, the butler to eight U.S. presidents. He's loosely based on a real person. I don't think the real person's name is Cecil Gaines. And the the fictionalized version, as told by Lee Daniels in Lee Daniels the Butler, directed by Lee Daniels, is uh, I, I think takes a lot of creative license and takes some liberties with the facts. But there was a guy it's loosely based on. And you do see uh, actors playing a lot of these presidents that the butler worked for, including Robin Williams as Dwight Eisenhower. Hilarious. And James Marsden plays John F. Kennedy. And Alan Rickman plays Ronald Reagan, which I love that casting. We reviewed The Paperboy here on SVU, and uh, we weren't huge fans of that movie, but I think it's fair to say we remain uh, intrigued by Mr. Daniels. Right, Allison? Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. We're very uh, curious about him and uh, what he's doing, and uh, curious to see The Butler, which we haven't seen yet, uh, which made a lot of money. We should say that. This was a big hit. It made over $160 million, which for a historical drama that's released in mid-August, you know, uh, basically at one of the times of the year where there's not a ton of stuff out there and is kind of a dumping ground a lot of times. That's fantastic, really. I mean, uh, it did very well. I think it made more in the United States than The Lone Ranger did, actually. So this is a, this is a attention must be paid, Allison. <laughs> and if you vote for it, listeners, we will. That's Lee Daniels, The Butler, and that's available on iTunes and VOD. All right. Well, which of these three movies should we review on the next episode of Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit? You can send your pick to SVU at filmspottingsvu.com, or you can enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, February 3rd at noon. And after that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account which is at FilmSpottingSVU. And you'll have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on next week's episode, which will be on Tuesday, February 11th. FilmSpottingSVU is also where you can find our show archive as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the show. The FilmSpottingSVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. You can listen to more of Vince's work at VinceVandal.com. We'll be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the movie review you pick. In the meantime, though, you can follow us on Twitter, at Allison Wilmore and at Matt Singer. And, of course, you can follow the show at FilmSpottingSVU. And that's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we share lots more streaming suggestions from you, the SVU listeners. And keep on sending us those recommendations. You can also email them to us, svu at filmspottingsvu.com. For FilmSpotting SVU, I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.